The Bradford Exchange presents The Classic Radio Theater with your host, Carl Amari. Countdown for blast off. X minus one. Yes, it's Maxwell House Coffee Time, starring George Burns and Gracie Allen. Richard Diamond, private detective. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. Suspense. It's time once again for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Dragnet. We offer you escape. Kraft presents the Great Gildersleeve. Yeah. I'm that man. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. Good evening, friends of the Inner Sanctum. The Jack Benny Program. Welcome, everyone, to episode 71 of the Classic Radio Theater. Each week, the Bradford Exchange and participating sponsors bring you three hours of the Classic Radio Theater, featuring programming from the golden age of radio. This time, we'll hear two half-hour sci-fi adventures of X-1. We'll begin after this short break. X-1 was a half-hour science fiction radio series broadcast from 1955 until 1958 over NBC. A revival of NBC's Dimension X, X-1 is widely considered among the finest science fiction dramas ever produced for radio. The first 15 episodes were new versions of Dimension X episodes, but the remainder were adaptations by NBC staff writers, including Ernest Canoy and George Lefferts, of newly published science fiction stories by leading writers in the field. Stories on X-1 were by Isaac Asimov, Ray Bradbury, William Tenn, Robert Heinlein, H.L. Gold, Robert Block, and many others. New York's finest radio actors are heard in supporting casts, including Bob Hastings, Jan Minor, Louis Van Ruten, Terry Keane, and Les Damon. Time now for the first of two sci-fi episodes of X-1. This first one is Ray Bradbury's famous and terrifying story of the first Earthmen to arrive on Mars. Here's Mars is Heaven, starring Wendell Holmes from May 8, 1955. Countdown for blastoff. X minus five, minus four, minus three, minus two, X minus one, fire! From the far horizons of the unknown come transcribed tales of new dimensions in time and space. These are stories of the future, adventures in which you'll live in a million could-be years, on a thousand maybe worlds. The National Broadcasting Company presents... X, 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 X minus, 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 minus one. one, one, one. Tonight's story: Mars is heaven. When the first space rocket lands on Mars, what will we find? Only the ruins of a dead and deserted planet? Or will there be life? 
intelligent life in some strange form that we can only imagine? Will we be welcomed with open arms? Or will the Martians treat us as invaders? Only one thing is certain. Someday, a giant metal ship will take off from Earth to travel through the black velocities, the silent gulfs of space, to descend at last into the darkness of the upper Martian atmospheres. And on that day, man will finally know the answers. The day we first land on Mars. Now hear this, now hear this. Approaching critical deceleration. Fasten gravity suits. Stand by to land. There it is. We've intersected the course vector, sir. All right, Mr. Lustig. Over to manual control. Aye, sir. Masters, sound general quarters. Aye, sir. Mr. Lustig, what do you make of the terrain? There seems to be a heavy ground, Miss Captain. We won't be able to use the infrared lights. And we'll have to come in on radar. Isn't that a little risky, sir? Landing in the dark? I'd rather run the danger of a blind landing, Lieutenant, than come in without the cover of darkness. Remember, we don't know what kind of reception is waiting for us down there. Airspeed 500. Altitude now 4,000. Bridge to engine room. Stand by for deceleration. Fire forward tubes one and three. Steady as she goes, Mr. Lustig. As she goes, sir. Airspeed 100. Altitude 1,000. Radar indicates a level stretch dead ahead, sir. Skids down. Skids check. Altitude 500. Four. 350. Three. Up a point now. All right. Let's set her down. Power. Masters, pipe battle stations. I said, all secured, sir. Well, gentlemen, gentlemen, we're now on Mars, April 20th, 1987, 433 Greenwich time. Enter that in the log, Masters. I said. Well, gentlemen, it's less than two hours till dawn. As soon as it's light, we'll send out a landing party. Masters, get me an all over hookup. Now hear this. All right, men. The smoking lamp is lit. Well, we're on Mars. The first man shipped from Earth to land here. We don't know what we're going to find or what dangers we may face. We're 17 men on an alien world. And it's up to us whether we ever get home again. The next few hours should tell the story. And I want instant obedience to all commands. I'll court-martial the first man who doesn't jump to when he's ordered. And one other thing. We may be on Mars, but this is still a United States naval vessel. Officers will conduct a personal and weapons inspection in one hour. That's all. Inspection, Captain. 
Now? Mr. Lustig, we've got an hour and a half to sweat out before we find out what's outside that airlock. I'd rather have a man worried about his stripes than about what's waiting outside on Mars. Now I hear this. Landing party report to forward airlock. Captain Black, Lieutenant Hingston, Lieutenant Lustig, and Dr. Horst report immediately to forward airlock. It's now landing time minus five. Well, they're paging us. Uh, you ready, Dr. Horst? Yes, Mr. Lustig. As ready as I will ever be. Come on. Let's get in the lock. Hingston, Lustig, and Horst reporting in the airlock. Very well, sir. The captain will join you. Four minutes to go. At least the captain would get here. What difference does it make? I just want to get it over with, that's all. Anybody got a cigarette? Yeah, I think you're smoking too much, Lieutenant Lustig. Are you nervous? I are for you, Horst. Wondering what's hidden outside underneath that ground mist? I've been giving it some thought. It'll be very interesting to find out. A very unusual planet, Mars. Why? It has an atmosphere. A wonderful thing, an atmosphere. Where you find one, you uh, find life. You mean Martians? What do you think they'll look like? Who knows? Intelligent life can take many forms. You mean they may have green skins and eyes on stalks or something? The comic book conception is possible, of course. Or they may have developed far beyond us. Perhaps they have a science that can produce weapons far more dangerous than our atomic missiles. You think we may have to fight our way out? After all, we are invaders. Now I hear this. Landing time minus two. All right, all right, we heard this. Oh, what I'd like to find outside that airlock. Good old Illinois. Ever been there, Rusty? Uh, only Chicago. Well, you ought to see my hometown... Green lawns, big white houses. <laughs> Sounds like my hometown. My grandmother used to have one of those iron deer on the lawn. Every Halloween, we'd paint it another color. One time, we painted it black and white like a Holstein cow. Where does your family live, Dr. Horst? I have no family. When I was a child, they were gassed to death in the Dachau concentration camp. Oh, tough. Oh, it has its advantages. I have no ties on Earth. Nothing to lose now. I imagine I'm the only one on board who is free to enjoy our present peculiar position. All right, masters, you can button it up now. Aye, Well, gentlemen, check your sidearms. In one minute, we'll be the first men to set foot on Mars. Quite an honor, eh? As long as the medals are not rewarded posthumously. Still uneasy, Dr. Horst? Captain Black, I've been uneasy ever since I can remember. On Earth and on Mars. Well, 30 seconds. Give me the intercom phone, Lustig. Yes, sir. Masters? Aye, sir. Battle stations are to be manned till we return. If we're not back in two hours, I want no rescue party sent out. Blast off and save the ship, you understand? Aye, sir. All right. Five seconds. Four. Three. Two. One. Lustig, open the outer airlock. Aye, sir. Fresh air. Let's go. 
enough. Take it easy. It's too dark to move fast. Quiet, isn't it? Not even a wind. Can't see anything from this ground, Mr. Quiet. We don't know what's out here. All right, come on. What the... Quiet! Captain, I can swear that... That sounds like a rooster. I don't hear it anymore. Very homely but unlikely sound. A rooster crowing on Mars? Hingston. Aye, sir. Set that machine gun 25 yards to the flank. We'll stay here till the ground mist lifts. Aye, sir. What do you make of the ground, horse? Grass. Plain grass. You can see some large foliage there with the mists thinned out. What the... Hingston, hold your fire, you fool! I hit it, Captain. What? Some kind of wild animal. I hit it. I could see the tracers, but it's still standing. Come on, horse. Doctor, where are you? Up ahead. Admiring the wild animal. Careful, Horst. Wait for us. Don't worry, Captain. <laughs> it's an iron deer. A lawn ornament. Well, that, that's impossible. It's hollow. Interesting, isn't it? A whitewashed Victorian iron deer sitting on a lawn in the middle of Mars. I don't understand. Look around. The mist's lifting. Hey, Captain, look there. It's a house. A regular old-fashioned house. But, sir, on Mars... Good Lord. I haven't seen carved scrolls and gingerbread like that in years. Look at that port swing. The geraniums. There. I told you it was a rooster, Captain. Give me the glasses, Lustig. I want to take a look through that front window. Well, there's an upright piano. Some sheet music on it. Lustig, it's... It's beautiful Ohio. It can't be, sir. Horst... Horst, do you think that civilization of two planets could be identical? I don't know. That specific variety of geraniums is only 50 years old on Earth. Is it logical that they should develop in Mars? How about that port swing and the piano and, and beautiful Ohio? Why, it's impossible. Captain Black, this looks like the town I was born in. Well, it, it looks like my hometown, too. I thought of something, sir. It's the only solution. Maybe, maybe we're not the first ship to reach Mars from Earth. Don't be ridiculous, Lustig. Oh, how else can you explain it? Suppose some scientists got together. They, they, they invented some spaceship and, and planted a colony here. That's the only answer. That's impossible, Lustig. Been space travel, it couldn't be secret. Do you have any idea what ships cost, what industrial power is needed? No, there's got to be some logical reason. I think perhaps we might find out, Captain. The light just went on in that house. Kingston, cover that door with the machine gun. I see. All right, come on, horse. We're going to ring that doorbell. There's got to be a scientific answer to all this. And there's something moving in there. Stand back, Horst. Give me a clear shot. Are you sure a bullet can stop a Martian? Steady now. Can I help you? I... Well, we... If you're selling anything, it's much too early. No, 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 wait just a minute. What... What town is this? What do you mean? Are you census takers? No, no. We're strangers here. We want to know how this town got here. Is this a game? No, no, it's not a game. We're from Earth. From where? From Earth. Do you mean out of the ground? Are you sure you're feeling well? Madam, we came in a flying ship across space. We're from the third planet Earth. This is Mars. Now do you understand Mars? You go away now, you hear? I'll call my husband from upstairs and he'll chase you. Go on. But this is Mars, isn't it? This is Green Lake, Wisconsin in the United States of America. Bounded on the east by the Atlantic and on the west by the Pacific. Now go away. Goodbye. Horst, do you suppose it's really possible? I've got to find out more about this. I told you I'd call my husband. Now you go away. You've got to tell me one thing first. What year is this? Year? 
1928, of course. For goodness sake. You hear that, Horst? And we know it's 1987. And we know this is Mars. Of course, is it possible that we got fouled up, made, made some tremendous blunder, circled around and landed back on Earth? In 1928? Well, maybe some switch in time or dimension. Could we have shifted somehow, gone, gone backward in time? Oh, Horst, it, this won't hold water. It's, it's not logical. We've, we, we checked every mile. We went past the moon, out into space. We're, we're on Mars. Lustig out at point. Hingston in the rear. Keep that gun at half load. Aye, sir. Horst, there, there's got to be some cold, logical solution. Captain! What? That, that, that house down the street, the white one with the green shutters. Lustig, what's the matter? I never thought of... I never thought of... Thank God! Lustig! Lustig, come back here! He's running for that house. That crazy fool, after him, quick! Lustig, stop! Come down off of that porch! Lustig, what the devil do you think you're doing? Albert! Oh, Grandma! Grandpa, it is you. Lustig, what is going on here? Albert, it's, it's been so many years. How you've grown, boy. It's so good to see Lieutenant you. Lieutenant Lustig! Oh, Captain, uh, Grandma, I want you to meet my friends. This is Captain Black. Captain, I want you to meet my grandfather. Howdy. Any friend of Albert's is a friend of ours. How long have you been here, Grandma? Oh, a good many years. Ever since we died. Ever since you what? Oh, yes, sir. They've been dead 30 years. What? Oh, now, don't you trouble yourself. It's all right. We're alive again, that's all. Do you mean to tell me that Mars is heaven? Oh, nonsense, no. All we know is here we're alive again. And who are we to question God's infinite ways? Well, I... Lustig, we're going back to the ship. But, Captain, I, I want to talk to my grandfather. Lieutenant Lustig, I don't like any part of this. You'll come back with us if I have to club you and carry you. I see. Now, let's go. Heaven only knows what they've run up against back at the ship. Horst, look at that crowd around the ship. Looks like we're being welcomed with a celebration, Captain. Celebration? They've abandoned ship. Every port is open. No guard set. You! You masters! Hiya, Captain! Meet my old dad. Dad, that's Captain Black. He's not a bad guy for an officer. Hingston! Uh, what, sir? Bring that band back. Use force if you have to. I, I, oh, excuse me, sir. There's my Uncle George. Hingston! I'll be right back, Captain Uncle George. Uncle what George. the devil is Don't going on here? Don't you understand, sir? They've all found friends and relatives. They're all here. You're right, Captain. I've found it. The whole crew is out in the crowd. But I gave orders. Definite orders. You don't understand, Captain. I understand, Newtony. I don't care how many relatives show up. I'll have discipline. Johnny! What? Johnny, you old son of a gun! It's you. Edward. Yes. It can't be. Oh, of course it is. Johnny, Johnny, Ed. you old... Ed, what... Dr. Horst, this is my brother, Edward. How do you do? Hello, sir. It's wonderful to, to see you, Edward. <laughs> Look, I've... I've got to get back to my ship. Oh, Johnny, wait. I almost forgot. Mom's waiting at home. Mom? Yeah, and Dad, too. Mom and Dad are alive? Then... Then you're real, Ed. Well, of course. Don't I feel real? How's <laughs> that, huh? Why, Ed! Ed! We've, we've got lunch for you, Johnny. Mom's making corn fritters. Dr. Horst, haven't you found anybody? No, no, Captain. I have nobody. Well, then you come on home with me, right, Ed? Why, sure. Horst... Horst, you wouldn't believe it. But it's been 35 years since I had mom's corn fritters. <laughs> By George, 35 years. 
in the kitchen, so don't hold back, Johnny. You too, Dr. Horace. Well, Johnny, you're still in the Navy, huh? That's right, Dad. I'm in command of the ship. We're an old Navy family, Dr. Horace. All three of our boys in the service. Yeah, Ed was the best pilot in the Pacific, too. What did happen, Ed? Oh, what's the difference? I'm here now. Yeah, but... You know, it's almost perfect. All we're missing is your brother, Will. Then the whole family could be together. Well, it won't be long, Mom. Will's in charge of the XR-54. Next rocket coming out to Mars. Oh. Well, little Will. When does he leave, Johnny? Well, the takeoff's scheduled for September, but uh -huh. it depends on what we report. Oh, oh, yeah. There's no question about that now, huh? <laughs> no. <laughs> Christmas together again. That'll be something. Sure yes. will, yes, sirree. Well, uh, this calls for a celebration. How about a little of the old dandelion wine, eh, Johnny? Now, Father, don't you go giving Johnny too much wine. <laughs> He's a big boy now, Mother. Well, sir, isn't everything just fine? Just fine. Again, will you, Ed? Oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dr. Horst, what are you doing sitting over here alone? What do you think of my little family? Very nice. You know, I can't understand why you didn't find any folks here, Dr. Horst. It's just a shame everybody else is so happy. Well, I never remembered my family, Mrs. Black. All I know is they were gassed at Dachau during the Second World War. When I was liberated, I was in delirium three months. I cannot remember anything before then. A psychiatric phenomena. Well, that's terrible. Isn't there anything anybody can do? I don't want to remember. I have not had a pleasant life. I prefer to be free of emotional entanglements. They interfere with a scientific approach. Oh, I'm sorry, Dr. Oh. Horst. Well, oh, I'll get it. That's our ring, long and three shorts. I remember that. Well, maybe we'd better call it a night. You must be getting tired, Johnny. I'd better be going back to the ship. Nonsense. You stay the night. Uh, we insist. I just couldn't rest thinking of you all alone on that ship. Oh, I'll be all right. Well, good night. Oh, wait a minute, Dr. Horst. That phone message was for you. Me? Yes, that's right. Uh, a message from Anna. Anna? I don't... Well, there, she must be an old friend. Isn't that nice? I don't... You sure it was for me? I don't remember any, Anna. Well, she asked if you were better. Perhaps she's someone who knew you at Dachau. Anna? She said she's coming over here first thing in the morning. So you'll have to stay over. Yes, so but... that da settles it, then. You stay here, Horst. You can bunk with me in my old room. Yeah, but, Johnny, we thought you'd like to be with Edward. So you could talk the way you used to. Well, we can't put Dr. Horst on the daybed. I think we'd better share the room tonight. Be plenty of time for talking, Ed. <laughs> yes, I, I guess so. Well, I suppose I'd better drop back to the ship. You know, Ed, security check. What, why do you have to do that here? I, I don't know, Mom. There's no good reason, I guess. <laughs> Suppose we skip it tonight, huh? Well, good night, everybody. Oh, it's good to have you home, Johnny. It's good to be home, Mom. Black, hmm? You sleep? No, no, I've 
I've been thinking about what we were expecting. <laughs> Green-skinned Martians. All the time there was only Mom and Dad and, and Edward waiting. That's funny what tricks your imagination can play on you. Well, I guess Mars is heaven, Horst. You know, I've been thinking about Martians, too. Hmm? Captain, just suppose... Suppose there were Martians, hmm. and they saw us land. And suppose they thought of us as invaders. What would be the best weapon they could use against our atom bombs, huh? Oh, I don't see what you're getting at. They would want to disarm us first, huh? To wipe out all suspicion, to make us feel at home. Captain, hmm. suppose this house isn't real. Suppose the people are just images stolen from our own memories by Martians, created for us by telepathy. Hypnotism. Oh, that's, that's the craziest theory I ever heard. Maybe that's why there was no one for me. Because in all my life, there is no happy memory, no real love person, not even my mother. I don't remember her. Only the piles of rotting corpses of Dachau. There was no happy emotion for these people to recreate. How about that phone call? Anna? Yes, Anna. I didn't remember who she was, but I do now. I just remembered. When I was freed from Dachau, sick, delirious... I raved about a wonderful, kind nurse named Anna that took care well, of me. Well, there you are. It's logical. She's coming to see you tomorrow. But there was no Anna. I'd been nursed by a man. What? Anna was only a dream. And there's only one way they could have learned about her, by reading my subconscious mind. That's impossible, Horace. Why? A whole crew was thinking of home. Suppose the Martians read our minds. Yes, but if, if there are Martians... If there are, they have us separated. Each man in a different house, sleeping. Trusting. No one at the guns. I left my pistol downstairs. Do you think there's something to this, Horst? It's a perfect trap, Captain. Who would suspect his own mother? His grandparents? How easy. Just a knife in the heart of each sleeping man. That's impossible, Horst. We've, we've got to get back to the ship. Listen. The crickets have stopped. Come on. We don't know when they change back to whatever they really are. All right, careful. Where are you going, John? Ed. We, uh, we wanted a drink of water. That, that's all, Ed. You're not thirsty, John. You don't want a drink. Look out! You don't want a His drink. His face! It's changing! He's a marshal! Run, horse! Run! You can't get away, John. This way, horse! Horse, where are you? Hello! Hello! Can you hear me, Earth? This, this is Captain John Black, the XR-53 calling for Mars. I've locked myself in the ship but they've crippled it. I can't take off or fire the guns, and they're coming for me now, the Martians. I'm all alone here. All the rest are dead. Hinkston, Lustig, Dr. Horst. Poor Horst, he didn't even reach the door. Listen, listen. They're trying to break through the hull. Edward and Mom and Dad and all the folks, but, but they're changing now. They're, they're melting and changing back into... They're Martians. Can you understand? Martians, not men. They, they made us think that Mars was heaven and we fell into the trap. Can you hear me, Earth? You've got to stop the next rocket. Listen, tell my brother Will. Tell my brother not to come. They'll trap him, too. They'll kill them all. Hello? Hello? Can you hear me, Earth? 
This is John Black on Mars. Hello, Earth. This is John Black on Mars. Hello, Earth. Hello, Earth. Tonight, X-1 has brought you the science fiction classic, Mars is Heaven. Written by Ray Bradbury and adapted for radio by Ernest Kenoy. Featured in the cast were Wendell Holmes as Captain Black and Peter Capel as Dr. Horst. With Bill Zuckert as Masters, Bill Lipton as Hingston, Margaret Berlin as the old lady, Bill Griffiths as Edward, Ken Williams as Lustig, Ethel Everett as Mom, and Edwin Jerome as Dad. Your announcer, Fred Collins. X-1 was directed by Fred Wayne as a transcribed NBC Radio Network production. Minus one. And that's X minus one with Mars is Heaven by Ray Bradbury and starring Wendell Holmes from May 8, 1955. Also in the cast, William Zuckert, Bill Lipton, Margaret Berlin, and Peter Capel as heard over NBC. All of the classic radio shows we present on this series are direct from the master recordings. I have more than 100,000 original radio episodes under license from the owners and estates, and we make them available via digital download or on CD through our Classic Radio Club. By joining the Classic Radio Club, you'll receive 10 superior-sounding classic radio shows sent directly to you each month, along with detailed liner notes and photos of the stars. You'll receive your first 10 classic radio shows for only $1, and you can cancel at any time. To learn more about the Classic Radio Club, log on to ClassicRadioClub.com. That's ClassicRadioClub.com. I'll have another sci-fi episode of X-1 after this short break. Welcome back to the Classic Radio Theater. I'm your host, Carl Amari. Time now for the Fritz Lieber Jr. story about the last family left on a frozen earth. Here's A Pail of Air, starring Richard Hamilton from March 28, 1956. In just a moment, X-1. But first, if you're planning to join the family for this holiday weekend... Remember, you have a friend who will keep you company through the long hours on the road. That friend is your car radio, and it brings you a full weekend of the most stimulating variety entertainment when you tune in to NBC's Monitor. Yes, you set your dial just once for hours and hours of refreshing variety. News as it happens, sports coverage, everything from baseball to skin diving, interviews with the stars, plus lots of the relaxing music you like to hear. It's all on Monitor this weekend. And now stay tuned for X-1 on NBC. Countdown for blastoff. X-5, 4, 3, 2, X-1, fire. From the far horizons of the unknown come transcribed tales of new dimensions in time and space. 
These are stories of the future. Adventures in which you'll live in a million could be years on a thousand maybe worlds. The National Broadcasting Company, in cooperation with Galaxy Science Fiction Magazine, presents... X minus one... Tonight's story, A Pail of Air, by Fritz Leiber. It was pretty quiet in the nest. Pa was just sitting by the fire, staring into it like he does these days. And Ma was asleep. That's why it was so quiet. Ma has some pretty bad times when she just screams and screams and huddles back against the blankets that line the nest. Sis was looking at herself in the mirror that hangs next to the bookshelf. I don't know what she finds to look at so long, but then she's a girl. She just looks at herself. Saturdays, when Pa puts a couple of extra lumps of coal on the fire and we take a bath, she looks at herself in the mirror and sometimes she cries. I dropped the book I was reading, and I guess that woke Ma. Huh? Uh, what? Huh? Pick up the book, bud. I'm sorry, Pa. It's come back. Hasn't it, Alfred? It's come back. It was just Bud. He dropped his book. Oh, but it's come back. It, well, it's out there now, isn't it? I, I feel a lot warmer. Now, Ethel. It, it's up there in the sky. Just the way it always was. I know. I, I had a dream, Alfred. I know, dear. Sis, melt your mother a cup of water. I'm combing my hair. Sis. Oh, all right. I've got to get up. I, I know it's there. There'll be crocuses and the spring bulbs and daffodils. What are daffodils, Ma? Well, buddy, they're... Oh, they're a flower, and they're very pretty. Yellow on a tall green stalk. Oh, I want to go out. I, I want to take the children out. All right now, Ethel. Here's some water. Come on, children. We'll all go out and you can play in the sun. Sure, Ma. Here, drink the water, Ma. It's cold, Alfred. You wrap on the pipes and make that super send up some more heat. What's a super, Pa? It doesn't matter, Bud. There aren't any anymore. Oh. Pa, the pail's running low. Bud, you better get into your things and go out and get an extra pail of air. There are a couple of pails behind the first blankets. Go on, get into your things. <laughs> it isn't back, is it? No, it isn't. There's no sun in the sky. No sun, is there? No, Ma. What was it like? The sun. Sis, don't get your Ma upset. The sun was yellow. And so bright you couldn't look at it. Burning hot. So hot. But when you stretched out in it, it made you feel warm all over. Tingly warm. It's been so long since I've been that warm. I was warm last year on my birthday when Pa put all that extra coal on. And then... Every morning it would come out of the east, make the clouds all pink and yellow. And the mist would rise in the ground, and then slowly everything would glow warmer, warmer. And then it would be up there in the sky, shining, warm. Hurry up, bud. I'm almost ready, Pa. I want the sun. I want the sun back. Alfred? 
get me the sun? Scarn, Ethel. There's nothing I can do. For Christmas? On my birthday? Go ahead, bud. Take the big pail and get it full this time. There's no sense in taking the trip for only half a bucket of air. Oh, I spilled it the last time. It's dark, Alfred. It's dark. Go ahead, bud. <laughs> Strap down the helmet, will you, sis? For goodness sake, stand up straight. Okay. All right, I'll be right back. Don't hold the blankets open too long. All right, Ethel. We're all safe. Bud will be right back with another pail of air. It's all right. I went through the 30 or so blankets that Pa hung up to slow down the air escaping from the nest. Of course, I knew the way. I've been going out for air since I was a kid. Still, I get a funny, crawly feeling every time I go out of the nest. You've got to go up to the fifth floor, which is just above the blanket of frozen air. You see, when the earth got cold, all the water in the air froze first and made a blanket about ten feet thick or so, and then down on top of that dropped all the crystals of frozen air, making another blanket sixty or seventy feet thick. I came out of the window we use on the fifth floor and started to scoop up the air into my pail. I had it about full. Boy, my fingers are getting pretty cold. When I saw something... Hey, that's a light. Oh, darn it, I kicked over the bucket. Oh, there can't be a light. Not moving around in a window like that. There can't be. Come on, Pa and Sis are back in the nest. I'm up here, and there can't be anyone else. Everybody on Earth is dead except us. idea how Ma must feel sometimes, the way she sees things. But there it was, moving around in the building across the way. I stood there shaking and I almost froze my feet. I did frost my helmet so solid on the inside I couldn't see anything. So I hurried up and scooped up another bucket of air and headed back for the nest as fast as I could. Pa! Pa, I saw something. Go on, hang those outside clothes up by the fire. Phew. Pa, I saw something. I did. Shh. Your mother's quiet now. Don't upset her. Pa, it was a light. Wait till I get this air next to the fire. Uh, give me the cloth, sis. Shall I put another lump of coal on, Pa? No, no, no. The oxygen from this bucket will get the fire up when it begins to melt. There. Pa, I'm trying to tell you. I saw something up there. Light. There's lots of lights. Stars. I know what stars look like, Dopey. They're big, steady white lights in the sky. This was down here in a building. What is it? Alfred, what is it? Nothing, nothing, Ethel. Now, what is this bike? Well, first I thought it was a lady, a young lady. <laughs> I mean it. Like in one of those old magazines. I thought I saw it in a window. But then all I saw was a light. You watched it for some time, son? Long enough for it to pass five windows and go to the next floor. And it didn't look like stray electricity? No, Pa, I know what that looks like. Or a star refracted through an icicle? Sometimes if you catch it at the right angle... It... Pa, honest, I never saw anything like it before. Huh. All right. I'll go out with you and you show me. No, no, Alfred. You can't go and leave us alone, not both of you. It's all right. We'll be right back. Here's your helmet, Pa. There's something out there. 
I've always known there was something out there waiting to get us. <clears throat> Hand me my glove. Something that's part of the cold. Hates all warmth. Wants to destroy the nest. It's been watching us all this time. Now, now it's coming after us. And it'll get you. And then it'll come for me. Oh, don't go. Alfred, please don't go. Everything will be all right. Now, sis. Yes, Pa? You come watch the fire. Keep an eye on that air, too. If it gets too low or doesn't seem to be boiling fast enough, get another bucket behind the blanket. Alfred, don't go. I'll take care of it, Pa. Could there really be anybody out there? I don't see how. We heard the last radio voices a year before Bud was born. There hasn't been anything since then. Then what could it be? I don't know. Probably just a reflection. An ice crystal cracking. Come on, Bud. Get your helmet on. It's funny. When I go out alone, I'm not scared or anything. But when I go out with Pa, I always hang on to his belt like I used to when I was a little kid. Habit, I guess. It's the same no matter what trip we take. On the fifth floor, we stopped to rest just before we went out. We were in the room with the frozen people. A lady sitting looking at the door. The man holding his hands over that funny metal thing Pa calls a radiator. It was like a fire, I guess, but I don't see any place for the cold. We put our helmets together so we could talk. Catch your breath, son. Pa, would it be possible... I mean, for any of the frozen people to come to life? Like the ones down in the basement around the furnace when we go for water? No, they're dead. They were caught too quickly when it happened. Oh, Pa, how do we know we're the only ones? We don't, but... Well, there's a feeling you get. Because it's always night. There used to be some of that feeling every night in the old days. But the sun chased it away every morning. You wouldn't know about that. You weren't born when the dark star pulled us away from the sun. You wouldn't know unless you'd seen the sun. I've seen the sun. It's that big star at the end of the Big Dipper. I've seen it. It isn't the same. Come on. We're wasting time. I don't know what the city looked like in the old days, but now it's beautiful. The starlight lets you see it pretty well. We're up on a hill, and the plain slopes down away from us. Some taller buildings push up out of the feathery plain, topped by rounded caps of air crystals. Some of them are on a slant because a lot of the buildings are badly twisted by the quakes and everything when a dark star pulled the earth away from the sun. That's why Pa can't seal up the nest airtight. The building's twisted too bad. Besides, we have to keep the chimney open. We touched our helmets together so we could talk. Is that where you saw it, son? It, it isn't there anymore. Uh-huh. But it feels different. I mean, as if there's something out here waiting. Bud, if you see something like that again, don't tell the others. Huh? Why not? Well, your ma's sort of nervous these days, and we owe her all the feeling of safety we can give her. Once it was when your sister was born, I was ready to give up and die, but your mother kept me trying. Another time, she kept the fire going a whole week all by herself when I was sick. She couldn't do that now. 
not the way she is. But you know that game we sometimes play, tossing a ball around? Well, courage is like a ball. A person can hold it only so long, and then he's got to toss it to someone else. When it's tossed your way, you've got to catch it and hold it tight and hope there'll be someone else to toss it to when you get tired of being brave. Yeah, I guess so. Come on. We'll fill up the pails and get back. But what about whatever it is out here? We'll just have to wait and see. Come on. Before the helmets frost over. It's pretty hard to hide your feelings in the nest. I mean, there's just room for the four of us. The blanket overhead just touches when Pa stands up straight. The floor is all covered with thick, woolly rugs. Pa says it's inside a much bigger room, but I've never seen the real walls or ceiling. Well, anyway, Pa laughed and kidded about what I'd seen. He said I had an imagination, but we could tell he took it serious. It was Sunday morning by the clocks that Pa kept all wound up on the shelf. So it was time for the story. We all sat around in a circle the way we always do. Except I noticed that Pa casually took a hammer from the shelf and put it beside him. I always liked the story. Of course, Sis and I know it by heart, but now... I mean, every Sunday since we were kids. But every once in a while, Pa surprises us by telling it a little different. Or throwing in some extras. It starts out with a song. Ma used to sing it, but she forgets the words sometimes. And now Pa sings it mostly. Oh, beautiful for spacious skies, for amber waves of grain, thy purple mountain majesties above the fruited plain. Of course, the words don't mean anything. I mean, the skies are spacious enough, but there aren't any waves of grain. And the plane is all covered with a blanket of frozen air. But it's part of the story ceremony, and Pa likes it. He says it reminds him of the old days. After the song, Pa starts the story. In the days of my youth, the sun hung above, golden and warm. And the earth was fruitful and multiplied. And the fields were green. And the day was glorious. And the wind blew across the hilltops, and the air was free and good to breathe. That's the part of the story I like best, about how it was with the sun nice and warm. It's hard to believe all those people living without having to worry about cold and air, never waking up sweating and screaming because you dreamed the fire went out. It's impossible to believe, but... Pa was a good storyteller, and he made it seem real. And then the dark star came rushing out of space. In the beginning, they tried to keep the news from the people, but when the floods and the earthquakes started, the truth came out. At first, they thought the dark star would hit the sun, and then they were afraid it would strike the earth itself. But it didn't. It only came close.
tells it like the sun and the dark star fought for the earth like two dogs over a bone. I know what he means because I've seen a picture of a dog in a magazine. And then the dark star won and carried us off. But the sun kept the moon. There were earthquakes and floods. Pa says that mountains fell and oceans slopped over. Oceans, that's, that's a lot of melted water lying around loose. It's hard to imagine. But Pa says it was so. Then came the open question time in the story. Sis asked a question about what girls wore for clothes. And I asked Pa how people acted in those days when the earth was twisted and jerked almost apart. Well, bud, I was too busy to notice much. A friend of mine, Dr. Weisbrot, and Kelly, the geophysicist, and Walters, the astronomer, we knew what was going to happen. And we were working to fix up a place with airtight walls and insulation and big supplies of food and bottled air. But the place got smashed up in the earthquakes and... they were all killed. So I put the nest together at the last minute in the living room of our apartment. It's a four-room apartment. You must have seen some of the people, like the frozen ones downstairs. At that time, Bud, I only thought of one thing. Your mother and survival. If I had stopped to think, I wouldn't have even tried to make the nest. Would have seemed ridiculous. Blankets and a coal fire against the cold and vacuum of space. But I didn't think. I survived. I wasn't listening carefully as Pa went on about the building of the nest. I kept thinking about something else. About that light I'd seen outside kept asking myself, what if the frozen people were coming to life? What if they were like the liquid helium that crawls toward heat when it should be frozen solid? What if something were coming from the dark star to get us? Something making the frozen people move, not by themselves. That would fit with what I'd seen, a young lady's face and the moving light. I sat there and shivered, thinking of the frozen people with Minds from the dark star creeping, crawling, snuffing their way, following the heat to the nest. And then, over from beyond the blankets, I thought I heard a tiny noise. So I asked myself then, what's the use of going on? Why prolong a doomed existence of hard work and cold and loneliness? The human race is done. The earth is done. Why not give up, I asked myself. And then I did hear the noise, louder this time, a kind of shuffling tread coming closer. And then I got the answer. The Earth's always been a lonely place millions of miles from the next planet. And no matter how long the human race might have lived, the end would have come some night. Those things don't matter. What matters is that life is good as a lovely texture like some rich cloth or fur or the petals of flowers, crocuses, daffodils, or the fire's glow. And that's as true for the last man as the first. Still, those steps kept shuffling closer. Pa was talking and Ma was dreaming with her eyes closed and Sis was looking at herself sideways in the mirror. And I was the only one who heard the noise. A noise outside. So right then and there I told myself that I was going on as if we had all eternity ahead of us. I'd have children, and I'd teach them all I could. I'd get them to read books 
try to enlarge and seal the nest. I'd try to keep everything beautiful and alive. I'd keep alive my feeling of wonder, even at the cold and the dark and the distant stars. Pa, Pa, I hear... I know. What is it, Alfred? What is it? What's going on? You've got to tell me. Pa, I'm scared. Quiet. But you heard it? Uh-huh. A kind of shuffling. Coming toward the nest. Oh. Sis, take care of your mother. It's all right, Ma. Lie down. Come on. I'll take the hammer. You take the hatchet. What is it, Pa? What is it? I don't know. Listen. It's closer. Oh. Mush. Pa. The blanket is moving. Ready with your axe. Hello. Ah! Who's there? Is there somebody in there? Come in. It's all right. They're alive. Alive. Who are you? Alfred. Alfred. Hutchinson. Dr. Alfred Hutchinson. You can take off your helmets in here. But the air. We have air. We bring it in in pails. Come on, Ralph. Let's take off the helmets. It's it's impossible. Where are you from? We thought we were the only ones. Los Alamos. The nuclear laboratory. Yes, that's right. We get our power from the reactor, using the stockpile of bombs for fuel. Then there are others. There are. There are other men. There are other men. Pa, Pa, is it all right? Should I put the axe down? Yes, yes, it's all right. You can put it down. You mean you come from another nest? It's a little bigger than this. We've got a small airtight city with airlocks. We generate our electricity, food from hydroponics. I can't believe it. I can't. I can't believe this. It's impossible. You can't maintain an air supply without hermetic sealing. It's impossible. No, no, it's simple. As long as you keep the fire going to melt the air and enough air boiling to keep the fire burning. How did you come here? Why? Well, we keep scouting around for survivors. There are a number of colonies, Brookhaven, Oak Ridge, and Harwell in England and the Argonne Laboratory in France. We didn't expect to find anything in this city, though. But our detectors picked up a heat tray, so we tracked it down. Alfred, you're forgetting your manners. We have company. Of course, of course. Sis, throw a handful of coal on the fire. Pa, a whole handful? Doesn't matter now. And Bud, bring out another pail of air. It's incredible. And you have laboratories and transport? We only have a two-seater scout, but if we rip out the bulkhead to the storage compartment, we can make it all right. We can have you back at Los Alamos in four hours. What's the matter? I guess we really hadn't thought about it that way. But, uh, I I wouldn't know how to act there. And besides, I haven't any clothes. Just doesn't seem right to let this fire go out. It's been 18 years. Burning every minute. But you can't stay here. Ralph. But after all... Ralph. Oh. Uh, Look, Dr. Hutchinson... We'll go out to the ship and bring back a small power heater. 
I know this is very sudden and upsetting to you. You need a chance to adjust. We'll be back in a few minutes. It's incredible. In buckets, hair in buckets. Well. They didn't think the nest smelled so good. I could tell. She, she had a wave in her hair. Did you see that? And, and lipstick. I suppose we have to decide what to do. Pa, at Los, Los Alamos and those other places, there'll be lots of people, won't there? Yes. I mean, not just your father or a brother. That's right. Boys? I suppose so. But somehow I feel a little empty. Alfred. Alfred, it's different now that we know others are alive. You don't have to feel the responsibility for keeping the human race going. Pa, I'd like to see those rockets and laboratories. Wouldn't you, Pa? I suppose so. It won't be easy leaving the nest. I mean, it's just right and there's only four of us. It's kind of a scary idea. Big place with a lot of strangers. You'll get over that feeling, son. The trouble with the world was that it kept getting smaller and smaller till it ended with just the nest. Now it'll be good to have a real huge world again. The way it was in the beginning. And so we're going to leave the nest in the morning. By Pa's clocks. We've got the power heater going now. <laughs> Seems funny to be this warm when it isn't Christmas or somebody's birthday. But still, it's hard for me to realize that this is the last time I'll go out of the nest, through all the blankets, to get a pail of air. And that's X-1, starring Richard Hamilton in A Pail of Air from March 28, 1956. Also in the cast, Rita Lloyd, Ronald Liss, Joe DeSantis, and Eleanor Phelps, as heard over NBC. Stick around, I'll give you our lineup for episode 72 of the Classic Radio Theater after this short break. Next time on episode 72 of the Classic Radio Theater, brought to you by the Bradford Exchange, we'll hear two comedy episodes of the Milton Burl Show, so don't miss it. To reach me and to learn more about the Classic Radio Club, visit ClassicRadioClub.com. Be sure to tune in to our next show. Thanks for listening. <laughs>